The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM radio on this beautiful Saturday, February 1st. Yes, January's already gone. Uh, February 1st, 2020. Um, I, I can't, you know, already... The the uh, we've we've already one month into the uh, into 2020 and uh, it it just time just is flying. It just seems like the other day I was putting up Christmas lights for crying out loud. Uh, so anyway, welcome to the show, my friends. We've got a very very good program for you as usual. Hopefully, you'll call your friends and tell them to listen in, or you will share the podcast at a later time. But uh, we've got some very very interesting uh, information and uh, interesting guests for you. Um, our program, El Conservador, deals mainly with uh, immigration issues. We also talk about racial uh, racial tension, uh, race issues, and uh, of course we make fun of the uh, the uh, fake news. I mean, this past week we had uh, the uh, situation where on CNN, Don Lemon, who is one of their uh, premier uh, hosts on CNN. Uh, was literally making fun. He and his guests were making fun of uh, Trump supporters, laughing at us, making uh, jokes that we uh, are are rubes, that we're uneducated, uncultured folks, and uh, you know. And then they wonder why we, uh, how why conservatives don't want to uh, to pay attention to uh, to mainstream media anymore. So uh, you know, again, their 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 elitism shows constantly. So, uh, all right, so let me tell you about our show today. We've got, um, first of all, uh, we're going to uh, hear from R.J. Homan, who is with uh, FAIR, the Federation Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. He's going to talk to us about a very, very important push that the... um, that the uh, ra- that the Trump administration has going uh, to uh, address the issue of birthright uh, citizenship of uh, tourist uh, birth uh, here in the United States. We've uh, had uh, several situations where tourists will get visas, come into the United States, have a kid, and declare uh, citizenship for that kid. So uh, you know there was a, a, a major situation in. Uh, in Miami, where uh, there were there were Chinese tourists coming in specifically to have kids, to have children in the United States, and uh, you know they would come in for about uh, a month or two and then go back, uh, just absolutely abusing this uh, th- this process. So uh, um, RJ is going to be chatting with us about it. We also have a very very interesting, very very interesting interview with Mr. Billy Gordon. Billy Gordon is a member of the Buffalo Soldiers of Bear County. The Buffalo Soldiers were the black uh, cavalry, black uh, uh, ex-slave cavalrymen that uh, moved to the uh, southwest, that were stationed in the southwest, to pacify the the border area, the southwest border area. You had Comanches, Apaches, uh, raiding settlers. You had uh, Mexican bandits. And he's going to talk about the role that these um, Buffalo soldiers played. As he calls it, and it's true, they were kind of like the first Border Patrol, the early form of the Border Patrol. Uh, Very, very interesting uh, uh, historical uh, uh, view that he's going to give us, Uh, Mr. Billy Gordon. Then we have uh, Mr. Dan Lineman. Dan is uh, our friend with InfoWars, who's stationed in Europe. He is a reporter in Europe. And he's going to be talking about the European problems, uh, the problems that are going on in Europe with immigration uh, or migration, as the, uh, as the left loves to call them. But specifically, he's going to report about uh, an, a recent incident where Hungary has gotten really, really tough on illegal immigration and people 
coming into their country. And uh, apparently there was a confrontation. Shots were fired. And, of course, the mainstream media is not going to talk about that. But he'll tell you all about that whole situation and that incident. And we certainly can learn from it. Finally, for my friends, we've got uh, Mr. James Dickey. James Dickey is the uh, state Republican Party chairman. And uh, I reached out to him because we recently, uh, this past week, had a uh, victory uh, in Fort Bend County in a special election. And it was not expected, but it was a special election and uh, the Republican won by a substantial margin. Uh, in spite of the fact that the um, Democrats put a lot of time and effort and money into it, they lost. So uh, we will hear from Mr. James Dickey how they are going to, how he plans to uh, keep Texas red and how, what he uh, is going to be asking of the grassroots. So, folks, welcome to the show, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to go to our next uh, to our interview with Mr. R.J. Homan from FAIR. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, we've got uh, one, of our, uh, one of our guests, um, uh, a first-timer uh, from uh, FAIR, from the Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, Mr. R.J. Haman. Uh, and R.J., I reached out to him because um, they are uh, addressing the issue of birthright citizenship. Uh, what a lot of folks uh, commonly call the issue of uh, anchor babies in some cases, uh, and uh, the abuse of the issue of uh, of, um, of the right of birthright citizenship. So I wanted to get him because it appears that uh, the uh, Reagan uh, that the excuse me that the book, that the uh, Trump administration is uh, addressing the matter or going to address the matter, and we sure hope so. Hopefully the Ninth Circuit uh, Court won't get in the way. <laughs> but, uh, R.J., welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Absolutely. Tell us, tell us about this issue. First of all, explain to uh, us about the birthright citizenship and um, how it's being abused and what, uh, you, what's going to be attempted to try to address it. Yeah, what, the, what President Trump and his administration is, is trying to do right now is they're trying to curtail the phenomenon of birth tourism. And that, that's an important step in ending the blatant abuse of, of birthright citizenship. And just so everybody out there knows, you know, birthright citizenship. So there's a citizenship clause in the 14th Amendment, which was ratified in 1868, which was clearly intended to guarantee that emancipated slaves would proper, properly be recognized as U.S. citizens. That's something I think that makes sense. Everybody can agree with it. It's a fundamental misapplication of that clause, though, saying that U.S.-born children of people who are here illegally or just came here um, as a tourist are granted automatic citizenship under the clause. And, you know, everybody is always focused on the offspring of people who wandered in here under false pretenses for no other purpose than to give birth on, on U.S. soil. That's people coming up from both through Mexico, from Central America, from Mexico itself. But there's a bigger, there's a big problem as well that can be addressed much easier rather than getting the Supreme Court to clarify what that citizenship clause means. And each year, tens of thousands of foreign nationals in the late stages of pregnancy, again, arrive under the false pretense with the intent of giving birth here to simply procure U.S. citizenship for the child. This is a great, a glaring loophole. You have shady entrepreneurs who are profiting handsomely from helping those people come here. American taxpayers get stuck with the cost. And then the value of citizenship is further diminished. So, again, what the administration has tried to do here is issued a rule by the State Department and consular officers who, who issue visas to people coming here are now instructed to deny visas to women who they expect are simply trying to enter the United States in order to give birth. That's what consular officers should do abroad. And, and also, too, they're not keeping out people who need to come here for medical reasons, even if one of those reasons is to give birth a child. They're just making sure people can't come here to abuse our system. It's fair. It's taking a necessary initial dent into the massive birthright citizenship problem. Yeah. Now, now you know, uh, having grown up in, in the border, on the border uh, areas here, uh, I remember uh, in Laredo, many people used to cross the border from Nuevo Laredo to give birth 
to kids and uh, then uh, have the kid declare dual citizenship. Now, uh, you know, in, in those days, we just, you know, because Mexico was just across the border, in many cases, people were relatives. Nobody said too much about it. But now you've got junkets coming in from China uh, into hotels to have for people to have uh, to have uh, kids. And that is really abusing the situation, is it not? <laughs> Oh, it's, to- it's, it's total abuse. Yeah, you have a lot of people coming in from both China and, and Russia as well. And, you know, you can have foreign governments exploit this in manners that threaten the security of the United States. But, again, you also have a lot of criminals, organizations that are, again, bringing in large numbers of aliens to systematically exploit these loopholes. Again, they charge, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, which doesn't include any coverage or medical care. And then they're, you know, they're brought to motels or hotels and stuff whose owners are also complicit in the scheme. So, and this is something, again, I, you know, I, I also question any, any of the grounds that they could sue on with this, because, again, they're not just saying anybody who's pregnant cannot come here. They're simply making sure that the State Department, the people who screen those who intend to come here, you know, are, are, aren't able to do it to simply abuse our system. Listen, citizenship's the crown jewel, okay, of the American immigration system, and it must be vigorously protected from exploitation, and they're just simply taking an initial first step here. And again, it just continues the, the Trump administration's efforts to safeguard, you know, our system as a whole. But again, nothing can really address this crisis until congressional enactment of legislation that limits birthright citizenship to only the offspring of U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents, just as the framers of the 14th Amendment clearly intended. The Trump administration, if they want to do that via executive order, of course, that's going to get struck down in the courts, but then the Supreme Court would eventually have to weigh in on the proper, you know, interpretation of the 14th Amendment. But again, this is just an initial first step. We think they're on firm footing to do so, and those who work at the State Department were hopeful that they act in accordance to this, because there are a lot of people who work as consular officers abroad that do not believe in the integrity of our system or President Trump's immigration agenda. You got it. RJ, thank you very, very much for coming on the show and for uh, explaining uh, the situation to us and clarifying it a little bit better. Tell the folks where they can find uh, FAIR and where they can read about it and maybe even contribute. Absolutely. You go to FAIRUS.org, at FAIR Immigration on Twitter, and the Federation for American Immigration Reform on Facebook. It's a great way to learn about the issue, complex policy issues, and then most importantly, when something big is going on here in Washington, you can learn how to take action, contact your elected official, and urge them to uphold the integrity of our system. Thank you very much. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got a very special guest with us, uh, Mr. Billy Gordon. This past uh, a couple of weeks ago at the MLK March, I met uh, the San Antonio chapter of the Buffalo Soldiers. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the Buffalo Soldiers were uh, black cavalrymen who uh, protected the border and protected the uh, western frontier. And uh, just as lawless as the border is becoming again right now, uh, these Buffalo Soldiers back in those days uh, used to protect uh, folks from uh, Indian raids and from bandits and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to get Billy Gordon to come on and tell us a little bit about uh, the history of the Buffalo Soldiers here in Texas. And uh, so people can uh, can get to know a little bit more about uh, the, this this part of the history of uh, of Texas and the border. 
Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Uh, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself and this uh, and the Buffalo Soldier Organization here in San Antonio. Well, uh, as I first stated, uh, I am Billy Gordon. I uh, make my home here in San Antonio. Uh, I am a 20-year retired Air Force veteran, uh, and I got involved with this Buffalo Soldier history back in the 90s. There was a um, miniseries that was filmed on TV called The North and South, and there was a sequel to that uh, during the aftermath of the Civil War called the uh, movie was called The Heaven and Hell, and I had an opportunity to play a part in that, and my part was playing an ex-slave that joined up with the East Time Army, which was a first for African-American soldiers during that time. so that's how I got involved with it because I knew very little about the Buffalo Soldiers. And after that movie, I became very, very curious. And the more I researched military records, I became extremely fascinated about this missing piece of American history. So in 1999, I organized the Bear County Buffalo Soldiers Association. And we were organized strictly as a nonprofit to educate the public to the history of the Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, little is known that these Buffalo Soldiers existed now, the cavalry, for 78 years, from 1866 when they were first organized all the way into World War II. And the infantry was in existence for 85 years from 1866 until uh, the Korean War in 1951. So uh, as an all-black enlisted force, that's how long they were in existence. Uh, a lot of people say, well, Truman integrated the military in 1948. But what happened there, the Army kind of dropped their feet and did not get into full compliance with that integration process until 1951 during the Korean War. So um, that's basically uh, the, the quick of it. So that's where we are with this history thus far. Tell tell me tell tell us a little bit about um, the uh, the history of the uh, Buffalo Soldiers because we've talked we talk a lot about, on our show about the uh, the cartels the lawlessness that's going on uh, along the border right now. Tell us a little bit about what the Buffalo Soldiers did uh, during their period of uh, when they were in, uh, active. Well. Um the, the, the whole reason that the Army raised those 30 regiments back in 1866 was because of the conditions in uh, the, the Great Plains and particularly in Texas and the Rio Grande area. Um, once they were organized, the Buffalo Soldiers were sent here to San Antonio uh, to train. And once they were trained here at San Pedro Springs, they were sent down on the border. Now, they, even though they were not titled as such, they were your first border uh, security. Um, <laughs> How about that? Yeah, and, about that? <laughs> and what they ran into down there was, 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 uh, was a buzzsaw, uh, to use a phrase. You know, they had the um, marauding uh, Indians. You had the revolutionaries. You had the both the Mexican and the American uh, Indians that was depredating both sides of the border. And the Rio Grande was just a haven for, for both sides. And addition to that, of course, uh, you had all of the young uh, Civil War vets, and they had carried their uh, violent streak, so to speak, uh, into civilian life of gambling, stealing, killing, drinking, and all of that was taking uh, uh, place on the border, and they were overshadowing the civilian authorities. Uh, and, of course, they was uh, killing the, the Mexicans, and the Mexicans, of course, was revenging, and they were killing the Texans, and they were considered to deserve a medal, so to speak, any time that they would kill a, a Texan in any fashion. So it was back and forth. It was just a horrific horrific condition down there and of course governor coke one time had petitioned the army that if you don't do something the area between the nuances and the rio grande is going to be depopulated so the buffalo soldiers were sent into this now for eight years the ninth buffalo soldier 
regiment was the only protection that they had down there until such time as um, Colonel Ronald McKenzie was sent in to assist those Buffalo soldiers. So, uh, and of course, the problem was is that, of course, politics got involved in it because Colonel Hatch of the 9th Cavalry was the first one to um, petition to cross the border, across the Rio Grande, in order to chase down these outfits that were depredating both sides of the border because they were using it as a sanctuary, of course. And, of course, the Mexican government at that time uh, says, no, you got to wait until um, the Mexican Congress meet. This was in 1870, by the way. And uh, Hatch was told that they had to wait until the Mexican Congress uh, had their meeting in 71, but uh, that never happened. So what they had to do was violate that uh, uh, order and cross into Mexico uh, to chase down these uh, chase down these outlaws and revolutionaries and Indians and because they was depredating and, and getting into white slavery and what have you. Now they they crossed many times. The army did with the Buffalo soldiers and uh, Colonel Hatch crossed over in 1870. General Ord um, he crossed over and uh, then. Uh, Lieutenant Bullis with his Indian scouts and, and Captain Lebo and a whole battalion of Buffalo soldiers crossed chasing down these various factions uh, of outlaws and, and killers and murderers and um, who were capturing and enslaving people over in Mexico. And each time they had to hit and hit quick because the Mexican Federalists was chasing behind them trying to catch them, but they always managed to get back across the Rio Grande uh, before uh, they were chased down. So, um, that, that, can you tell us I about... I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, can you tell us a little bit about uh, General Pershing here? Uh, because my understanding is that he had uh, a contingent of Buffalo soldiers that, that he used as well. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, of course, you know, this was a uh, result of uh, Pancho Villa, um, raiding into Texas uh, many times, but the uh, big one was there in Columbus when he had that raid in 1916 that uh, General Pershing uh, was given orders to gather a force, which included the Buffalo Soldiers, um, and they crossed over with about 66, about 6,000 men uh, crossed over to Mexico, and this was considered a failed mission in that their whole purpose was to capture Villa. And even though they fought many battles and won many battles, because what happened was Villa separated separated his force into many different groups. So you will see when you read that history that the uh, German Persian forces was involved in many, many uh, fights uh, during that year over there uh, in Mexico. Now, the... Buffalo soldiers, the um, C and K, C and K troops, I believe it was. They a lot of those got captured, and what happened there, which still can't figure out, but it really upset General Pershing that C and K was to enter this town um, in separate groups, but for some reason the young officers brought those groups together and put them in single file in a column and entered the center of town and when they entered in that fashion they were ambushed and cut to pieces and um, the uh, and that's how the uh, that's how they were captured those that were not killed and that was the worst uh, um, battle that they had while over in Mexico yeah. and they found one of the officers he had run off and he was up in the hill but um, in any case, that finally brought about peace, and then when uh, an agreement was reached between uh, Mexico and, and, and the U.S., of course, um, Persian was brought back to um, to the American side. You know, you know that the person was released. It, it, it's very, very interesting that um, you know that uh, a lot of people seem to think that the that the uh, border is is lawless now, with illegal immigration, the contraband, and all the uh, all of the cartels but it's been a lot worse in the past <laughs> and, oh, it, it was once you read those records it was it was um, it was awful it was absolutely awful <laughs> i don't know how anybody survived in that environment uh, 
tell tell uh, uh, Billy here. We've only got a few more, uh, another minute or so. Tell the folks how they can uh, uh, follow the uh, the Buffalo Soldiers of Bear County and uh, how they can uh, support you guys. Uh, we are the Bear County Buffalo Soldiers. Um, we have a, a website um, which is bcbsatxfortexas.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. Um, so we just Bear County Buffalo Soldiers uh, webpage. Uh, so that is one of the quickest ways to uh, to, to get a hold of us. You got it, Billy. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Once again, folks, George Rodriguez. We've been talking with uh, with Buffalo Soldier uh, from Bear County, uh, Mr. Billy Gordon. And this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, 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 folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from... San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM radio. And we've got our very good friend, Mr. Dan Lyman, uh, who is in, uh, in uh, uh, Europe. He's based in Europe, and he reports on uh, immigration issues. So uh, we wanted to reach out to him because there has been some uh, immigration news coming out of Hungary uh, in, uh, in, in the past uh, 48 hours. Dan, welcome to the show Tell us about this incident and what else is happening uh, regarding uh, shots being fired at, at the uh, Hungarian border. Sure. Great to be back with you, George. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, yeah, as I always start these interviews out, I say there's never a dull moment discussing uh, immigration situation here in Europe because there's so much going on. Uh, the story that you refer to, I actually just covered that yesterday. And one of the reasons that it's striking is because it's, it's an example of the borders actually being enforced as they do in Hungary. They, they really take that seriously, and they have since 2015 when the migration crisis erupted. And uh, so when, when they set the example for the rest of the world and certainly for the rest of Europe of how to handle things, then, then it really picks up steam in the, in the media. And so what happened uh, a couple days ago, uh, the Hungarian border is now uh, fortified with uh, a large uh, barrier, a very complex uh, system that they have there. In some places, it's double razor wire fencing that they've placed there since the 2015 crisis when things got really bad. And, uh, and migrants, uh, they are deterred by that. However, there is a ton of pressure building up uh, in the Balkans. They call it the Balkans route. And the Balkans route was really hot in 2015. Uh, nearly 400,000 migrants came through Hungary on their way into the EU uh, during that crisis. And that's just the ones that were recorded. Now, uh, since then, they with this uh, new border uh barrier that they've erected there, they, they cut that down by nearly 100%. However, like I said, recently things are, the pressure is starting to build up again. And uh, the other night, they estimate it was between 50 and 70 migrants. Uh, they actually attempted a, an organized blitz of the border system there. And uh, I've actually watched the video. The government has released video of this, uh, this operation. And it, it seems to have been a, quite a sophisticated operation in terms of uh, migrants attempting a penetration of this uh, of this degree where they had it looks like they had some sort of a decoy perhaps go through a small group and they were arrested and then uh, they kind of distracted the border force in that regard and shortly afterwards a group of it looks like all males uh, between 50 and 70 like I said they actually um, climb over a, a kind of a uh, an area of the fence that doesn't look as sturdy as the rest of them however uh, there is a, a, a sophisticated alarm system that was triggered immediately, and in the video you can see it. Uh, lights flashing, alarms sounding uh, on the bullhorns. There's a, a recording in Hungarian that warns that they're breaking the law, and it uh, looked like uh, some sort of fog machine went off. And as the migrants were attempting to, to run into Hungary, the Border Patrol responded immediately to this, uh, to this sector, and they ended up having to fire warning shots. And due to all the chaos and the warning shots, you can watch just about all these migrants actually run back over, back into Serbia, uh, and probably to regroup. I know a few were arrested, uh, and then a lot of them actually went back into Serbia. So it was a very effective, um, a very effective protection of the border, and uh, the Hungarians do that so well, and they really are setting an example for the rest of Europe. 
You know, the, <clears throat> it's very, very interesting, uh, your description of uh, them rushing the border, because we've seen that uh, with Palestinians in Gaza, and we certainly have seen it here in South Texas, uh, occasionally when they will try to rush the border, the, the, uh, the bridges. Uh, I guess that must be a tactic that must be uh, going around, uh, a strategy or a tactic that, uh, that, that's being uh, uh, proposed on how to enter illegally into a, into a country. Certainly. Uh, so what's going on is the Hungarian government, as well as other officials, have been warning for a while now that the Balkans are really heating up again. You have tons and tons of migrants, tens of thousands, uh, pouring in from Turkey on a regular basis now, and they've basically accumulated in certain countries on the Balkan Peninsula, namely in Bosnia and also in Serbia, which borders Hungary. And they work their way up the peninsula, and then they find the best route that they can that they can use to get into the EU, which is really the key to get to set foot on EU soil. Because once they do, they get certain protections that they don't have if they're outside the EU. Um, so with Hungary, that stands really as a big obstacle to them, uh, more so than other countries when they're when they're there in Serbia. So they have to actually take a bit more. Uh, extreme or organized measures to penetrate Hungary's border defenses because uh, the defenses in other countries aren't necessarily quite as strong. I know Croatia is trying to do a better job of that. Uh, They have a pretty large uh, borderline as well that they're uh, working to defend, but Hungary's is the most well-defended. So uh, what's happening now is you're having larger and larger groups attempting really aggressively to make it through because they know that they can't just... uh, they can't just go about it the way they could uh, penetrating other borders. And, you know, the really refreshing thing is to see the way that the Hungarian government talks about this. They talk about this in very frank terms. They don't sugarcoat anything. You have the spokesman for the Hungarian government, uh, Zoltán Kovács. He, he wrote a, uh, an article about this uh, particular in- incident, and he said a violent, organized group of illegal migrants tried to invade Hungary. That's very strong language for a government official. Uh, they take this very, very seriously and, uh, and definitely... Um, they have been very successful to this at this time, but they're having to reinforce their border patrols heavily. They're sending military down to the border, and they're even sending some of their officers down into other countries, such as Serbia, to help with the effort there to basically uh, stem the flow coming into Europe. Wow. Now, since um, Britain has uh, is going to be leaving the EU uh, tomorrow, uh, do you think that they'll uh, step up their uh, immigration uh, enforcement? That remains to be seen. I've seen waffling from Boris Johnson, and and I don't know if the political will to do it is there. Uh, The UK is another interesting situation because leading up to uh, this Brexit, uh, this final date here, it looks like it might actually go into effect, but for the past uh, 18 months or so we've been covering this, the English Channel has been teeming with migrants uh, making their way across on boats from the the French coast and uh, a little bit from uh, Belgium as, as well, but they've been working their way across the English Channel, and thousands of migrants have now successfully entered the UK just by the channel, because basically what they do is they get into UK waters, the UK border force comes out and collects them and brings them back to the United Kingdom to be quote-unquote processed, but they've returned very few of them back to Europe or back to France, their, their origin, but a lot of them, uh, they do make it across successfully, so I don't know if the political will is there for the UK to enforce their borders. However, I do know that one of the primary reasons that the UK voters voted in favor of Brexit is because of immigration, and they'd like to get that back under control. So they're going to need to really put the pedal to the metal and put the pressure on their uh, elected officials to make sure that that happens. My goodness. Are there any European countries that are starting to panic about the immigration, the, the, them being overrun or anything of the nature other than Hungary? I mean, are there any other ones that are, that are trying to put their foot down? Poland has done a great job. Uh, the Czech Republic, all of the Visegrad countries, there are four countries. They're in alliance, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, uh, Poland, and Hungary have done a great job, and they, they all align with each other in that regard. They take very, very, very few migrants, if any at all. Um, and there are some other countries where they've done a good job, um, but the, the panic is with the voters. If you look at polling done uh, of European voters, the number one issue uh, across the entire continent, even in non-EU countries, the number one issue in just about all those countries is going to be immigration. If not, sometimes it's number two if their economy is doing very poorly. Um, but the elected officials don't really listen to them. Um, but I think that we're reaching 
kind of a, a watershed moment here where things are getting so bad that another crisis is building now um, that could a lot of officials are saying it could be worse than 2015 so the political well the political will is at the 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 level with the citizens and the voters, uh, but not with elected officials typically. Wow. So uh, do you see any, do you foresee again, any, any lessons that definitely the United States ought to be looking at and learning from this situation? Sure. You know, I mean, we've got our own problems in the United States as well that, that are very similar. Uh, although I do see, you know, things that seem to be getting a little bit better at the southern border there. Uh, I, I'm shocked by the response to this uh, this virus coming out of China that all these countries are suspending travel from China, closing their borders to China. The Czech Republic stopped issuing visas to Chinese travelers. And, and I don't see that response in the United States. Uh, I think that there is good reason for uh, for the the U.S. voters in the U.S. to take this issue very, very seriously uh, because both continents, uh, the, the Western countries there are being swamped by, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions, of illegal migrants pouring in. So, I mean, you can look to Europe and, and, and say there's plenty of lessons to be learned here, but we also need to be looking at our southern border and say that we need to seal that up and, and also our, our other borders as well and ports of entry. Dan, tell the folks how they can follow you and uh, how they can read more of your reports. Absolutely. You can read about the one we just uh, spoke about in Hungary. That's up on europe.infowars.com or europewars.com. That will take you to the same link. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Citizen Analyst. And uh, pretty soon here, we're actually going to be launching uh, a new resource for people who want to learn more about immigration situation in the U.S. as well as in Europe and internationally. We're going to be uh, aggregating all immigration-related news all into one place. Uh, so we'll be launching that probably in about a few weeks, and maybe by the next time I talk to you, I'll be able to give out a web address for that so people can keep an eye on the immigration situation worldwide on a daily basis. Wow. Excellent. Dan, thank you very much for being on our show. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Dan Lyman with, from InfoWars in uh, Europe. Dan, we'll get you back on uh, and to give us another update real soon. Sounds great, George. All the best. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And we've got uh, a very special guest with us. We've got uh, the chairman of the Texas Republican Party, uh, Mr. James Dickey. And uh, we wanted to reach out to uh, to him and ask uh, what uh, preparations he's got, uh, what plans he's got with regards to the 2020 election, which is... Uh, quickly uh coming upon us uh, welcome to the show mr dickey chairman dickey thank you for being with us and taking time tell us what thank, uh, you. thank you for having me and, and uh i i have been, as you know i've been a fan for a while and uh we've had really nice interactions in the past i'm so excited to have you to, to be able to be on your show and uh, yes we have amazing plans for 2020 Tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, I mean, because we don't want to lose Texas, and we keep hearing so much about uh, how the opposition is, uh, is working over time and doing this and doing that. Um, what uh, what uh, plans and what uh, things are you working on to, uh, to keep Texas red? Absolutely. We, there is a lot. And I, I'm a little uh, between a rock and a hard place on this stuff because when I talk to candidates, I tell them, it doesn't matter what your polling says. You need to always campaign like you are 10 points behind. Because there's nothing that will kill a political campaign more than overconfidence. And, in fact, we saw that in the 2018 election. You know, we had 12 House seats that were lost. 
think a lot of that was the very last impact of straight ticket voting, which is thankfully gone. It was the impact of $40 million that O'Rourke had and the, the strategy they ran. But some of it was self-inflicted. There, we had one House member who lost by less than 2% who had $130,000 still in the bank on election night because he was that overconfident. Oh, my gosh. Another House member who lost by less than 3% the election campaigning in other members' districts because he wanted to run for speaker, and he was sure he had it in the back. Oh, my gosh. The uh, the situation with uh, the uh, spending of the money, um, how, how important are is the grassroots organizing of, of folks you know, being uh, being uh, involved and and getting the getting and getting the vote out and getting themselves uh, organized. It is super critical, and uh, I'll just point to a couple of things. You know, we see over and over again the money alone cannot buy an election. We saw that with President Trump. You know, thank God he had a lot less money than. Uh, than Hillary Clinton did, but he was able to beat her anyway because of the grassroots support, because of the boots on the ground, because of the organization of the party and his campaign. Um, uh, uh, O'Rourke had not just more money than Senator Cruz, but double. He had an extra $40 million and still couldn't win. Now, he came too close, but he couldn't win because of the grassroots organization, because of what the party had done. Uh, because we did what we had to do to make sure that O'Rourke stayed a loser, and he will again. He did. He did again in the president deal, and he w- and he will in every other thing uh, that we are able to be involved in. But because that grassroots involvement is so critical, there are some big outside money efforts. So, for example, there's a national, uh, there's a Texas pack called it's it's a federal pack called Engage Texas that is doing paid voter registration efforts using paid staff they're registering Texas Republican voters. And that's great, and I'm glad they're there. It is important that we have big efforts. But when we at the party said, and we had been saying before they were informed, we need to do voter registration, we said we needed to do voter registration. It needed to be done through volunteers, because by doing it through volunteers, not only do we build deeper and longer relationships and take advantage of our secret weapon and reduce our cost. But we end up with a twofer. We end up with more Republicans registered to vote in Texas, and we end up with 10,000 volunteers ready to help go to the next step, which is turn out the votes for the White House all the way down to the courthouse and make sure we have the kind of victory and multiple victories that we need and that Texas deserves. Yeah, I mean, speaking from personal experience, I will pay attention much more to someone that I know than someone who is paid that's coming in from out of town. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's no, that's not a ding on the outsider. That's just, they are. They're from outside. And so that's why as we're doing this 10K for 10R, we're looking for 10,000 volunteers to each register 10 Republicans, the 10K for 10R program, um, what we do, if someone will text us, just text 10K, 10K, to the number 72,000, we will send them a list of 10 people that we are 95% sure are Republican, and we're 95% sure they're not registered yet to vote in Texas. And all they have to do is call those 10 people who live pretty near them and say, hey, can we mail you a voter registration form, yes or no? And if yes, great, we'll get it off you. If no, no problem. And that it is the easiest and most effective volunteering we've ever seen. We've already had 30,000 people through that process ask us to send them a voter registration form. We've already got 3,000 volunteers who have signed up to do this. And I know, knowing the quality of your audience, after this, a bunch more people are going to volunteer, and I can't wait for that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because uh, Texas is also a very, very, uh, besides it being very critical, 
it's also a uh, heavily minority community or state. Uh, we have, uh, I'm not sure, I think something over 30% registered voters that are, that are Hispanic. What are we doing for minority outreach in that and, uh, in, in voter registration? Boy, I am so glad you asked about that. So we have, uh, a, a whole slew of things. This is all a unified approach. So the first thing we did was as we are hiring our field staff, we are making sure that our field staff is representative of the, of the districts that they are working in. And we are working all over the state, especially in the major urban areas. We, the days of Republicans deciding that they didn't have to really fight in the major metro areas in Texas are long gone. And that was part of the case I made when I was elected chairman a couple of years ago was that it wasn't a reason to downplay my experience of having been chair in Travis County where we had to fight the Democrats in Austin, that quite contrary, that that was crucial experience, right? It was not a coincidence that I was the first county chair in decades, of, you know, first that we had heard about in a long time, to have a booth at the Juneteenth event in East Austin. Um, it was not a coincidence that, you know, I, I joined the Tarrant County chair walking in the MLK parade just a couple weeks ago. You know, it, we have to be intentional about doing it. So, as we've hired our field staff, as of right now, almost all of our field staff are under 30 and over half of them are female or minority or both. A full third are bilingual. And we even have one guy who can speak French, so the Cajuns still walk. It's great. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Yes, one of the things that I that, that I have always uh, tried to to, uh, to say to folks is that we don't really need a Hispanic mis- mi- uh, uh, message. What we need is a uh, message in Spanish regarding freedom and liberty. Yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. So, a couple of other things we've done. Uh, we have just produced our second hundred thousand set of. Uh, push cards that we have that are their handouts that are you know nice size and easy to do that in English on the front Spanish in the back just talk about the different perspectives of the two different parties and as you read down the different things that we believe in at the end you get to which one's Republican and which one's Democrat and we see a lot of people who, until they really take a look at it, don't realize that the, the things they believe in, the things they stand up for, are in fact Republican positions. And so we push that. Um, we have Bianca Garcia, Bianca D. Garcia, who's from the Valley. She has been our southern region field person for a while. She's just gotten promoted. She is now our Sayride uh, Hispanic Engagement Coordinator. She also, she has uh, deputy folks underneath her, and uh, so we're putting extra attention to that. We also have a, a female engagement person, an Asian engagement person. So we have, we, have, we have people who are dedicated to those efforts and making sure that we, we get out the word we want to get. But the one I am really excited about was we did our biggest ever candidate recruiting effort, and and. Um, I, I think I recall you were actually at one of the candidate recruited training sessions, right? Yes, I was. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the one we had in Bear County, which was great. Uh, great example. 112 people just in Bear County alone. We had 1,400 people all around the state pay to attend that candidate training school as part of the efforts put on by the candidate recruiting task force. And they did an amazing job. Even the Houston Chronicle could not ignore the fact that in one cycle we doubled the number of female congressional Republican candidates in Texas. We also dramatically increased minority candidates up and down the ballot. I saw a, a wonderful tweet of the three black Republican congressional candidates in Dallas County alone. Somebody was celebrating that. And, and we, as we should. And what, what's even better, what, what's more heartwarming to me, when the reporters called me and said, how in the world did you guys do this? What, you know, what did you do? I said, well, i tell you what we didn't do. What we did not do 
is pander or set quota. What we did was we just made it crystal clear that that the, we are welcoming and encouraging anybody who feels strongly in our shared beliefs and wants to make the case and is willing to take the battle to the Democrats, not just to defend Texas, but to be on the offense, to win in Texas, and that we wanted to help them, that we have resources, we have the best data ever, we have the best tools ever, and that those are available for free to any Republican candidate running. And as a result, in this primary, we have 1,700 more Republican candidates on the ballot than the Democrats have on the ballot. Excellent. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Chairman, tell the folks how they can, uh, where they can follow, how they can support uh, you here in our closing minute. Boy, I, I appreciate that so much. So I am on uh, Twitter at James Dickey. I'm on Facebook at James R. Dickey. And I, I would welcome everyone. Please connect. I am absolutely open and transparent. My email is jrdickey at texascop.org. I am always open to suggestions and feedback and input. We are the most grassroots up organization, political party in the country, bar none, and that is exactly why, what is our secret weapon. And please, vote in the primary, then participate in our convention process. Vote in the pri- precinct convention, participate in the Senate District Convention, our county convention, and then come to the state convention. It's going to be the best convention you've ever seen. It's going to be amazing. And I am running for re-election, and I do ask for your vote. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for taking time uh, to be with us. Uh, We've been talking with uh, Texas Republican Party Chairman uh, James Dickey. And uh, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. The Answer.